Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Up the Guts podcast brought to you via Anchor Podcast. Today, we'll be touching on the T20 World Cup, Sheffield Shield, and some incidents happening during the weeks as well. Unfortunately, JP is in with us this week. He um, was a bit busy, so I've managed to get in contact, though, with a former person who I did radio with who actually, fun fact, gave me the name Tricky. So I'd like to welcome Alvo. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Tricky. Pleasure being here, mate. Thank you so much for asking me too, mate. It's an honour to be on and help you out, mate. No worries, mate. You gave me my first go. went back in radio, so got to return the favour somehow. I don't know um, whether I taught you very well, mate, but you seem to be going all right. <laughs> Obviously, um, we'll start off with the news that we both heard today. Um, Will Pekoski being ruled out of the Sheffield Shield, the first um, Victorian Sheffield Shield game that you're supposed to play. Do you think you'll ever get back in the Aussie team? Do you, do you think you'll play cricket again? Is the real question. Look, I, he's had 10 concussions now. Um, or, or I think it might even be more. Um, it, it, it's hard because they from what I've heard is he just can't read the short ball. Um, and if you're going to play world-class cricket, you need to be able to read any ball that's coming at you. Um, you know, and you can wear a helmet as much as you want. You still get hit in the head. He still gets concussion. Uh, he's and, and it's happening in like you know weird, and, it's uh, happening weird and unusual ways. Just like think, wasn't the last yeah. one just a throw down in the nets? I'm pretty sure. Just a throw yeah, down, throw down, throw down in the nets. Um, and uh, and this time with this concussion, it's lasted something like three weeks because they were hoping he was going to play uh, starting tomorrow. So um, I don't know. I mean. Will he play cricket again? Exactly. And we've said that before. Um, and he's also had mental health issues, remember, in the past. Which could um, be leading to isn't helping things either, is it? So <laughs> it's it's really sad because he's just got open a number three written for Australia all over him. And, and it's been that for, for two years. Um, can, I, can I say on that, though, Tricky, that don't be surprised in the first test that Marcus Harris gets a recall. I'm going to make the call right now. Marcus Harris. I was going to ask you who opens. So obviously, alongside Warner, be Marcus Harris. Do you reckon? Yep. And I don't think Warner's any certainty either. Well, I mean, you, we all say that, but Australia has shown that they're going to back him. Like people were talking, he was not even a certainty for the World Cup. People were saying they should drop him and possibly drop Smith, but they, they just don't want him. No. Like, no. We just haven't got the T Twenty um, as a whole right. We've gone in and pretty much picked our test side. Take England, for example. I think I saw a stat with their T20 and one-day side. Only, I think, two or three of them are coming over to play in the Ashes. So they're, they're picking actual T20 and one-day players. We're picking players that, like, pretty much are our best players rather than um, first-class one-day T20 specialists. But on another note, Jordan Nagoi, he's messed up again. What are your thoughts on this one? Is, he, is, is this the final line for him or what do you reckon? Well, the indecent assault charges have been dropped, but the assault charges are still there, aren't they? And remember, he had that other court case that was dropped from the lady yep. here in Melbourne that said that he um, indecently touched her. So, look, I, who, who knows what's going on there? But he's obviously got an issue, hasn't he? And he wants to get a neuro Collingwood supporter yourself. And, and he wants to get all this money from Collingwood. But, you know. and let's, I thought let's, this year was his year. Yeah. I was really, I was really that that second half of last, well, yeah, last season, 
showing he could be a pure midfielder. Yep. Who can attack us, like, rack up the touches. Kind of like a Dusty, and we want him playing that forward half role and hitting the scoreboard as well. Don't really need him in the back line using the ball coming in. We just need him for his grunt and his speed out of stoppages. But for what he's getting paid and what he wants, yeah, he's too far away. He's too far away. You want to compare him to a Dusty or a Bontempelli or a um, Petrarca, Mm. he might have the talent, but mentally um, and what he's showing, he's just it's just way too far away. It's not, it doesn't make sense. So, look, I think Collingwood will stick by him. I yeah. think it's worthwhile, but my goodness, I don't, I don't see him. I don't him. see him playing round one. They'll probably give him some sort of suspension. Yeah, he'll have to. Yep. Might um, even get the first half of the season out. We'd never know. Like, he yeah, definitely won't be lining up round one. No, if you do this anymore, you're finished. They have to. They have to say that to him now. Um, who was the gentleman he was over in America with? It's not another footballer. It's just a good friend, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a good friend. By the looks of it, I think it might even just be like a tattoo artist or something. I think it's just a good friend, though, because he's over there yeah. doing a, a training camp. Okay. But, yeah, so okay. moving on moving on to the T20 World Cup, obviously the first game since the last episode we did, um, first Australian game was Aussies versus Sri Lanka. Australian won the toss and we, again, elected to bowl. We often like to chase. Why do you think – I asked JP this um, last week as well. Why do you think we often like to – is that just a thing we do? Or even T20 a lot these days, they often win the toss and elect to bowl. Where in back in the days, or even now, if you win the toss in test level, you often choose to bat first. Why do you think they elect to bowl? I don't know. I, I, do they just have faith in their bowlers that they're only going to be chasing a small score? Um, looking at the, at the squad that Australia's got, um, and I'm going to bring up something controversial here. Um, and I it. agree with Shane Watson on what he said the other day. Yep, I do not think that Steve Smith should even be in the T20 squad. He struggles to go at over 100. Um, but then at the same time, when um, we're delivering some sort of performances, we need someone that can calm it down at the same time. But, yeah, he does need to get it moving a bit more. But he could easily be that person. I find he could be all right at T20 level, but he just needs to learn how to rotate the strike a bit more. If he could rotate the strike and get the power hitters on your Stoinis, your Maxwells, and let them go to work, he just sees that person who gets them on strike, hits that odd boundary every now and then. But he definitely needs to be going more than a tick of over a runner ball. But just he can be the anchor to get the power hitters on strike. Like I still believe he can do it, but like at this point, he's not definitely not showing, and he's going too slow, and he's hurt, and then he's bogging down the people, the non-strikers, then who should be making the runs. I suppose it works if you're right. The guys are ready for making runs. But if yeah. you're going around him and suddenly we're five for 60, it's, it's, it's not working. It's, and I think Matthew Wade's batting way too low. Um, and if you up some cracking scores, it's the same as Stoinis for stars. Um, I, I, I think those two blokes are batting too low. Um, and Warner, I know, made 80 the other day to get out of um, his slump. Yeah. Um, but he, I, he's not the same player. No. Well, I've mentioned this on the podcast last week with JP. Um, you often see half our, our top six are openers, really. Marcus Stoinis in Big Bash opens for the Melbourne Stars. Matthew Wade opens for the Hobart Hurricanes and has opened for Australia um, in the yeah. T20 tour, oh no, the what you call series they play when he, he captained it and did a solid job. He made a 70 or 80 for the captain of Australia, opened the batting, yet they've got him here at seven. Yeah, like I don't know what the I go is. It, I suppose it's handy if you 
if you if you're five for 160 with four overs to go on wade comes in yeah um, but yeah same again when you're four five down there's too much pressure on these guys um i think we've got the bowlers except stark again i know this is harsh but i wouldn't even have stark in the squad um yeah. but i think the Zampa's done the really well this tournament so far i'm really liking what Zampa's doing oh he, he's he's quality yeah um and agar was great the other night um mm-hmm. he should i, I think you know, the other thing is you've got maxwell that can bowl a bit of spin so and agar's a handy bat so would i you, would definitely have agar in, in the side would you take leave stark out and possibly bring in kane richardson instead absolutely yep yep and Stark can be equally wayward, and Richardson's shown at Big Bash level, even Australian level, that he can hold his own very much. So obviously, um, Sri Lanka finished six for 154. Um, figures Stark two for 27, Cummins two for 34, and Zampa two for 12. Australia chased that down with three overs to go. Warner made well the question last week in the topic of the tight ty- um, the podcast was, will the top three fire and well, I think they kind of answered our question in that game, just for that game at least. With Warner making 65 of 42, Finch slapping them around for 37 of 23. And again, Stoinis coming in and, as we labelled him last week, just doing his job and finishing off, finishing with a 16 not out off seven balls at a 228.57 strike rate. He's just in unbelievable touch the way he's hitting the ball. He's a gun. And... I, I think that Stornis is being underbold as well. I really would throw Stornis in for an overall two. Um, and I know he's injury prone, and that's why he didn't bowl for a while for the Stars. But if he's fit, he's a, he's a very handy bowler. He moves the ball around quite well. Yeah. Um, and some of those pitches there, I reckon he'd get it to swing and soon. I think he's definitely worth every now and again putting him in for an over. Yeah, definitely. What, how do you feel about him leaving Mitch Marsh out the other day for Agar? I mean, like, I don't really understand it. There was talks about Mitch Marsh was going to be the difference in this tournament for Australia. He was the one in in the form. He was hitting him so cleanly. He was our pretty much they're layering him as our hero to win the World Cup for us. And yet, you play him. Yep. Was it one game? One game, then or two games? Then like, game. they played him one game at three. The second game, did he play or did, and just batted lower? Batted, uh, he batted no, like uh, he didn't even get to bat, or did he get left he out? Batted lower, and then yeah, and then so I don't understand it. Why, why hype him up this much, and then just not even give him, only give him the one game to prove himself? Like if he's the player that they keep yeah. saying he is, give him the opportunity. Like he's clearly showing them, but they're not showing faith in him. So as I said before, I'd have him in the side before Smith, and he's a handy bowler too, like Stoinis. Absolutely, he's a very he's a handy bowler, bowler than than Stoinis. So. Anyway, we're not selectors, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> On to some Sheffield Shield talk. So the first game was um, WA versus South Australia. South Australia's first innings was they got bought out for 128. And Jai Richardson and Lance Morris both picked up three for us, so not much going on there really for them. But then WA came out and made 299. Hilton Cartwright showed some form and made 73. And the next coming up and coming star, Cameron Green, Showed what he can do with the bat as well and made 61. Nathan McAndrew took a five for 84. I'm really liking the look of Nathan McAndrew. He's a very handy yeah. bowler. And someone I don't know very well, I don't know if you know, David Grant took four for 76. Don't know if you know much about I, him. I don't know much about him. I saw the figures and I saw him bowling in the in the um, replay. Jeez, he was moving it around. Um, yeah. He, he's quality. Um, yeah. The 
the big surprise of that game was Hilton Cartwright's a great one-day player. We've seen him hit up some good innings for the Stars um, and for WA and 50-over cricket. But to, to make runs in Sheffield Shield, that was a surprise for me. I thought, yeah. wow, you know, he, he, he's obviously qual- more quality and than, um, than what I thought at, at that level. Yeah, and then in the second innings, um, South Australia played for 291. And this guy I've actually been seeing, just watching highlights, I've been seeing a fair bit of him. Henry Hunt made 108 and Jake mm. Carter made 68 and Joel Paris took 563. Mm. What are your thoughts on Henry Hunt? Could he possibly push for it? Absolutely. At, at, not yet. Not yet. Um, not yet, but no, yet. No, he's do- no, I see him he's doing it at... Um, what do you call it, Marsh One Day Cup level as well, as yes. well as the Sheffield Shield. I've definitely been watching him and I've noticed him and gone, he's he's a talent to look out for, I reckon. He's a talent. Um, question on South Australia, why is Lehman not playing? I honestly don't why know. playing and not making runs? Yeah, it's that too. But also he's, he's a handy like part-time bowler. He has just gone off the radar the last two years. Yeah, he really has. He was- and then um, WA went out and looked like they just wanted to put, Yeah, WA went out looked like they just wanted to put the foot down. Cameron Green made a quick 38 not out and Josh Phillippe came and made 31 not out of 38. So WA ended up winning by six wickets. <coughs> moving on to the, yeah. the grub match, well, you'd like to call it. We don't really like each other, these two states. New South Wales versus Victoria. Victoria, <laughs> um, Victoria's first innings. Nick Madison, geez, is he in some touch since coming to Victoria? Started, he made 87. He's just like, is is he pushing for a spot in the test? Team? He, I thought he would have got picked last year. Um, I, I, I think not a lot was said, but there was a confrontation between him and the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a net session, and um, he was basically told, See you later, you never play for us again. So he got a very late transfer to Victoria. If the selectors don't hold that against him. What a great number four or five for Australia Nick Maddinson would be. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he in Sheffield Shield cricket last year average over 60? Yeah, there was a stat going around. I think ever since coming to Victoria, he's um, made over a 1,000 runs or, or, some, or something like that. He was averaging something ridiculous. Crazy. And he's a left-hander. Mm. You can never have enough left-handers. No, definitely not. And um, what was it? Sean, Sean Abbott is an also another bowler who I'm hearing a lot of wave about. He took six for 38. And could he put to potentially push for a future spot? Or do you, you not know, see him you pushing? Want to have another new, yeah, you want to have another New South Wales bowler at Sean Abbott. Like, yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, you've got to consider this guy. Is, I think this guy, to come back from what happened with. Um, mm-hmm. Um, the Hughes incident. Help Hughes, yep. Most people would have walked away from the game. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he has got over his demons, come back on playing better than ever. What a what a remarkable man, really. Um, Mentally strong. Credits this guy. Um, I hope he does play for Australia. He deserves it. He, he, if he gets some injuries or whatever, he absolutely deserves it. Not and- no, no doubt at all. Yep, sorry. And um, we saw a debut in that game, um, Tanvir Sanger. I don't know if you remember him playing for Sydney Thunder, I believe he was. He He's an up-and-coming talent. They reckon they reckon he's the next one to take over Nathan Lyon. He could possi- he shows that much talent. He took three for 44 on debut. And in return, New South Wales came out and made 151, so didn't 
Didn't really give much in return. Curtis Patterson top score with 48. Scott Bowen just does what he does every every game nearly. Mr. Consistent, I think. Took four for 34. Yep. Victoria came out and was just, wow, they just went bang. They made three declared for 290. Marcus Harris, your man, you've tipped to open, made 137. And Peter Hanscom, Hanscom the, cap, the captain, yeah, he's correct. That's, he's the captain, isn't he? Made 115. Yeah. You know, when he played for Australia, he went out of form very quickly, didn't do much. That is a fantastic comeback for Peter. They love him, the Victoria. Yeah, they really do. Just a gun bloke, gun captain. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, good on him. And Scott even got wickets again in, in, in the second innings. Um, he, it's just a, he just always gives you something. Uh, and good to see Johnny Holland back and form. Injuries have destroyed that bloke the last two years. Yeah, um, I was going to say New South Wales got knocked over 134 and Scott Bowen, Will Sutherland and John Holland each picked up three. So, yeah, got Johnny Holland, every ball is on the spot. It doesn't take much. He's just got that left arm bloody awkward spot um, on him. Then you have a look at the blokes that aren't getting the game. Um, For Vic? You know, and... Now- Honest, when we named the sides coming into the practice games, Victoria, I thought, who was it? Um, what's his name? Harvey. Mackenzie Harvey was very stiff to be left out. Mm. And even Jake Fraser McGurk, he was stiff to be left out too. He's an upcoming talent. Uh, and Gotch. Yep. Big really... Harper before Gotch. Um, and then that was an you've also one. got um, Pattinson to come back on the side. And Pattinson's retired from international cricket. Um, yep. I'm not sure if he's playing for Victoria tomorrow, but he's to come in. So Victoria don't have a bad list this year. They really yep. don't. Um, and always great to beat New South Wales, like especially when New South Wales rolled us for 199. They probably thought they were gonna, you know, come out and make those runs easily, and then bang, they were in trouble early. And did you see in the second innings, Neville made 27 not out off about 140 balls? Yeah, he, he was just trying to stay there. Yeah, he made, he made a 29, yeah. 29 not out. Yep, he just yeah, he was just trying to stay there. Yeah. So in the end, Vic got and up by 200 tomorrow. Yeah, Vic won by 204 runs. Next game was Queensland versus Tasmania, and um, Queensland came out firing real. They made uh, six declared for 487. Minus, 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 just doing what he does best, 136. And Matty Renshaw, 120 not out. And Usman Kawaja, Kawaja who's really um, showing some form and pushing a spot special, um, in the test squad, possibly, made 119. Riley Meredith took two for 59 as um, an up-and-coming fast bowler who could possibly wreck some havoc at, I don't know about test level yet, but especially in one day in T20 at for Australia. Totally agree, mate. I don't know about test level. I don't think he's got that accuracy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he bowls Thunderbolts. Don't worry about that. He's quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Tasmania came out and made only made 182. Jordan Silk made 47 and... Matt Kuhneman, five took five for 60, and Garindu Sandu took three for 44. Matt Kuhneman really bowled well in that whole that whole match, ended up with a 10-wicket hold, took five for 107 in the second innings. So Queensland came out. They declared only after 132, with Marnus coming again, making 60 not out of 46 balls, and Joe Burns, 46 not out. Tasmania did come out and chose mm-hmm. some fight, though. With Caleb Jewell, they made 341. Caleb Jewell top score with 90, but just clearly wasn't enough. Queensland winning by 96 runs. And then um, moving on to, oh, I don't even know if I really want to talk about this. Let's be real. 
Oh, Australia versus England. Oh, God. Where do we start? So, uh, England won the toss and sent Australia into bat. Australia were very disappointing with wickets falling everywhere and found themselves four for 21 after just six overs. I, I'm, I was at work at this point. And I remember just looking at it, looking at my phone, going, What the hell? I was just like, This can't be true. <laughs> and then, well, Aaron Finch gave us some relief, although it wasn't, wasn't a very. Um, uh, wasn't scoring runs at a good pace. At least he was staying around, I guess, with his 44. And was supported a little bit through the middle order with Wade and Agar. Wade, 18 from 18, and Agar, 20 from 20. The two quick Stark and Cummins looked to come out to just belt the ball around to get the scoreboard ticking, but only just lasted several balls with Cummins, 12 from three, and Stark, 13 from six. Last wicket to four was Zampa for one. The Aussies finished all out for 125 at the completion of their 20 overs. England shared the wickets around, but Chris Jordan was pick of the bowlers with three for 17 from his four overs. He's a handy mm. T20 bowler, showing it all around the world. Bowled really well. Yeah. And then let's be real. England's, I think, the best T20 team in the world. Let's be real. And that score was clearly... I think Josh Butler. Yeah, clearly never going to be enough. Josh Butler's the best one-day cricketer going around at the moment by a country mile because he did it the next game as well. Yeah, he, he he is insanely good. So obviously they chase it down Remember two he was with nine point two overs to spare. Josh Butler, my mm. God, seventy one not out from thirty two balls, going it at a strike rate of two hundred twenty one point eight eight. This innings included five fours and five sixes, and in the sixth over he took Stark for back to back sixes, and that over also went for a total of twenty. Yeah, he just I was went mad. Watching it live, um, he he's just the best one-day batsman going around by a mile at the moment. But like, and remember, he was going to come out last year and play for the Stars, um, yeah. and pull out at the last minute for family reasons. Um, my goodness, what, what quality he, he would have been! Yeah, I before say, I let you, yeah, before I let you go, pretty much. Um, who do you think will win the World Cup? I personally think England will. You do you think England well, as well, or? New Zealand. New Zealand, New Zealand I said early, where's my smoky? But they're the smoky. Um India are struggling. I don't know what's going on there. Pakistan are the unknowns, really. They had a couple of good wins, but I'm with you, mate. England have played so much T twenty cricket together, as you said before. They're a T twenty team, they're not a mix from all three um parts of the game. I, I think uh I think England will win it. Yes, they're my yeah, selection. I do. I do. Well, I think it'll either be an England-New Zealand final or an England-Pakistan. They're my three. Yep. yep. And remember, Pakistan have played a lot of, in Dubai because that's their home um, country at the moment because they can't play cricket in, in their home country. So you're right. I totally agree with you. I can't disagree with any of that. And well, that's going to wrap up. Yeah, sorry. That's going to wrap up that talk. I'd like to thank Albo for his time. And while before we get um, let him go, I'd just like to introduce the next segment. We've actually got a new segment coming on, which we're going to have a special guest called Brody Carter. And it's going to just be all about sitting down and me having a chat with them about life, about and then linking it back to sports. So stay tuned next for the new segment, Tricky's Chats. But I'd just like to thank you for your time, Albo. It's been really good to catch up with you and share some very good insight into cricket. Um, hopefully I can get you back on sometime. Anytime, mate. Anytime. It's been a pleasure um, chatting with you again, mate. You're, you're a knowledge of sport for your age, mate. Good on you. It's been a pleasure. 
All right, thank you. No worries. All right, welcome back to the Up The Guts podcast. This is the first segment starting up this week. It's called Tricky's Chats. And as our first guest today, we have the cranny boy, Brody Carter. Brody is a high school teacher where he has had many successes and which we will go through um, during this chat. He was also my year nine English teacher. Brody not only helped me grow as a student, but as a person, making me see life from a different perspective. Brody comes from a Cook Islands background. He's very passionate about his culture and his home suburb cranny. Brody is also a beloved supporter of the Carlton Football Club and of the Melbourne Storm. I'd like to welcome Brody to the Up the Guts podcast as first as the first in studio guest and first member of the new segment Tricky's Chats. Welcome, Brody. Thank you very much, Tricky. Thank you for having me. No worries, no worries. Now you're a very self-driven and mo- motivational or motivated person. Take us through what it was like growing up for you as a child in your early years leading. Well, just before I start talking about growing up, um, I want to clarify that maybe calling me the cranny boy isn't spot on. Um, I'll give that to Melbourne. <laughs> um, uh, but like in terms of growing up, um, I've I found growing up quite challenging, and I think a lot of factors contributed to that. Um, I grew up with a single mother and um, we lived in housing commission flats um, in Flemington. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but if you drive to the airport, you'll see these four flats on the left-hand side as you drive past the city. Um, So I grew up in housing commission, grew up with a single mother, um, and it was quite difficult. And one of the biggest challenges that we had to face growing up was um, being evicted. So it was my mother, my sister and I. Um, I was in year nine and I remember the day my mother came into school to pick us up and I was like, hey, what are, what are you doing? Um, you know, I love school. Um, being at school was like everything to me. I don't think it was so much because of the learning. I think it was more because of the social interactions and the peers that I had. Um, but I thought it was really weird that my mother randomly picked, picked us up and we're so used to her working so far away um, that it was really weird. Um, and then we found out we were evicted. So we couch surfed for two weeks um, trying to find a place to live and we moved over to um, by the time I was 15 moved over to um, Caram Downs moved over to the southeast so moving from an inner city suburb to the southeast was massive noticed some massive differences but also our lifestyle changed by the time we got out um, into the southeast um, went to a few schools Frankston North and in Caram ended up at Patterson River Secondary College um, and Again, um, found ourselves in um, that same cycle of, well, not necessarily poverty, (laughs) I won't say that, Um, but continued to face some challenges. And it's really hard, right? I remember in year 12, I never got the chance to um, go to our valedictory because just couldn't afford it. Um, And when you grow up, not poor, but just, you know, um, with enough to be able to survive, life just becomes about survival. Um, So finishing school was a huge achievement to me it may not be a huge achievement to a lot of people but for me it was huge um because i I probably would have been forced to leave school and um um, go out and work to get money because life is about surviving when you don't have much um went to uni um, got an arts degree, can't do much with an arts degree. <laughs> so I ended up working in a factory and I loved working in the factory. It was like the best thing ever. I had a university degree, worked in a factory. I loved working there because I felt like I learned more 
working in a factory than I ever did going to university or, um, you know, completing high school. Um, Learned a lot there. Um, And just before you go, what type of student were you? Like, obviously, I know you're a very smart person, but were you always academically gifted or... Was it just through pure hard work? Nah, definitely wasn't <laughs> academically gifted. Um, and I can tell you, any student that's had me in my first couple of years would, wouldn't think that at all. Um, I definitely wasn't academically gifted. Um, I think I spent more time having to work really hard to you know, get the scores that I needed and the, the marks that I needed in order to push myself forward. And you know, when you aim to like achieve good, um, and you actually achieve it, that only drives you even further. So I had to work really hard and, you know, the circumstances around me made it really difficult to, to you know, to, to, to do that. So definitely not academically gifted. I'm definitely a hard worker though. I'll always back that up 100% of the way. Yeah, definitely. And um, I know you're a big fan. You love your music. Where did your first passion of music come from? Was it like within the family or... And did you find music um, helped you get through the years? Was it kind of an escape or what is what is music to you? I guess for me, I love music. Music's everything. Anyone that's had me as a teacher will know how much I talk about music, i.e. Kanye West. But I talk about other people as well. Um, but I guess growing up, when you don't really have the opportunity to go to Luna Park or go to the zoo or do all those fun things... Um, you kind of cherish those moments that you have at home and you kind of create your own fun. So I know for my sister and I, um, we, we listened to a lot of music. My mother would play the radio all the time and we'd sit there listening what to music. What type of stuff was your mum playing? My mother was playing. My mother brought us up on ABBA and the Beatles. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think that's where my love for, like, I guess, catchy songs, but also really good songwriting comes from um, that upbringing. So... Beatles, the Beatles and ABBA was what I grew up with, pretty much. <laughs> now, I know you love going to your concerts. Just give us a rundown of some of the most concerts you've been to, like most artists. Like I know you've been to Kanye a lot of times, a lot of Jay-Z. How many times have you, have you seen Kanye, actually, to be real? Uh, I've seen Kanye 11 times, actually. What about Jay-Z? Five times. Yeah, I knew you'd seen him a lot. <laughs> Who, who's um, an artist that probably would shock me that you've seen live and you were just so passionate about going to see and they really put on a show. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, of all the artists that I've seen, I think Miley Cyrus is up there. Um, and I didn't even want to go see Miley Cyrus. I went because a mate um, I went and I went with her. Um, but I thought Miley did a killer show. The Rolling Stones is also another band that I went to see. Um, so far, so, so removed from the, the hip-hop and, and, and R&B that I love listening to. But... The Rolling Stones has to be one of the best bands that I've ever seen live. For a, for a, like a band with members that are like seventy plus, they kill it. They still know how to like move crowds and um, keep the, the the audience engaged. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I remember that first time you took me to my first Kendrick Lamar concert. Geez, that bloke can put on a show. Anyways, at what point did you realize that you wanted to become a teacher? Oh, that's so weird. Well, it's funny. I never wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> I don't have any career goals. I do have career goals now. I know where I want to be in the next five years, but. It was never my goal to be a teacher. And I guess for me, I tried to put myself in situations where or gave myself or tried to find opportunities and teaching was an opportunity, you know. I had an arts degree. That didn't necessarily get me anywhere. But uh, there was the opportunity to go back to uni and do a year of, um, you know, a diploma 
to get into teaching. And when I got into like my placement and I did placement in Caram Downs at a school in Caram Downs, I just loved it. I love the interactions that I had with kids and it sort of reminded me of, you know, the things that I loved growing up. I loved interacting with people, um, you know, relationships was huge for me and, and still is important to me now, um, not just as an individual, but also in terms of how I interact with the students now. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's the most satisfying thing about being a teacher? One of the most satisfying thing about being a teacher is seeing the growth and seeing what these kids achieve. Um, and I'll always have a special place in my heart for cranny kids. Um, it's a hashtag that I like pushing around a lot. Uh, purely because I've seen some of the horrible things, or not necessarily the horrible things, but I've seen the adversities or I'm aware of the adversities that some of um, um, students in Cranbourne face and how they overcome this and how they create opportunities for themselves to, you know, thrive and be successful. Really proud of, you know, the enterprises that a lot of our um, young people are, you know, pursuing and, uh, and are starting up. So, I, you know, I give a, I think about um, uh, Rafi, Rafi Bakatan, um, who um, is a creative um, and a CEO of his own clothing brand, Judah. I think about Melbourne as well. I think he's one of the best rappers in Australia, hands down. Uh, bar for bar, I don't think uh, many rappers compare. Um, and I think it's really good because I think having somebody like him come from Cranbourne sets the bar really high and sort of brings everybody up. And it sort of reminds me of my experience working with him as a manager of his dance crew. But I, I can't begin to tell you like how many, um, you know, great success stories have come out of Cranbourne. And, you know, I'm, I'm here as a fan. I'm here as a cheerleader. I want, I want the world to actually see that, you know, Postcodes don't matter. You can come from Cranbourne and be anything you want. Um, so, so proud of these young people. I've only named a few, but there are so many more. Um, still waiting for um, um, Kay to release some tracks. <laughs> um, waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, and there's just a, a wealth of culture and performing arts that is really thriving in this pocket of Melbourne. And I think you know, Cranbourne can lead the way in terms of shaping the way we articulate ourselves through music, through art, through fashion, um, and yeah. And I know um, through your teaching, you've had a fair few accomplishments. Would you like to run us through some of those accomplishments and what they really mean to you? <laughs> well, Bit of me time. Uh, it's hard. I don't know. Where do I start? Um, well, I've had quite a few <laughs> accomplishments. I don't, I don't know that I want to talk about those accomplishments. Um, but you know, what's I, one you're most proud of? One that I'm most proud of. Oh, well, I do have one that I'm really proud of, um, and it's probably not one that you would expect. Um, my my proudest achievement in uh, teaching was being the manager of one of the greatest hip hop dance crews in Australia, um, and it was lucky because I sort of knew members of this crew through my teacher placement when I was training. And I knew they were from Cranbourne. And when I found out that I was teaching at Cranny, I was like, wow, I am at a school full of elite artists. Um, and they, they approached me to become their manager when they shaped a new um, dance crew called Kickback Kids. So I'm really, really proud of that because I think they um, influenced and inspired a generation or young people during that time to, to, to sort of, you know, harness their talents and gifts and be whatever they want to be 
Um, and I know it sounds corny saying, oh, just be whatever you want to be, because it is corny. Um, but the reality is these people are actually gifted and talented. And if you saw the body of work that Kickback Kids produced within that very short time frame, you'll know how much they set the tone for dance, dance, hip hop dancing in, in Melbourne and across Australia. Um, and, and I had the pleasure of being a manager or being part of a management team um, from 2010 all the way up to, um, you know, nationals and international um, competi- competitions at the end of 2012. Um, but I just remember them having a streak of comp- winning competitions coming first place and they really set the bar. I saw other crews doing what they did um, and like they always pushed themselves. They did they always did something different. Like I'll give you an example from one of the dance routines they came up with. They used Adele, um, <laughs> um, Someone Like You, as yep. their first song. And that was, to me, it was like, wow, this isn't hip-hop, but it's so hip-hop. The act of using something different, to me, is so hip-hop. And that was really cool. They even used an acapella to a Biggie, Biggie song. Um, and they use that to develop a dance routine and like I've not heard of that right never seen this so not only were they good at what they did but they were so innovative in their approach to um, you know coming up with dance routines and it's a it's a it's a testament to as to why they won so many competition competitions within that very short time period so if anything that's one of my proudest achievements I've got one more proud achievement um, I've got plenty, <laughs> but I like to just talk about this one because to me it speaks volumes in terms of the impact that I make on students, but also it's the, the kind of impact that I want to be able to achieve as a teacher. Um, I had a student and she was in your year level mm-hmm. um, who only taught for one year, didn't know her much, uh, didn't go to a Kendrick concert with her. <laughs> yeah. She's missed um, out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just with sat there, um, just had her as my student for one year. And, um, you know, five years later, six years later, actually, no, five years later, we keep, we, get, we get in touch and she shows me that she's dedicated her first novel to, to me. And to me, that's huge because in that time, never made any contact. I did for a little bit because she asked me to edit or have a read through her draft of a book. If you get the chance, buy it. Um, it's called Infected by Michaela Jane. Have a look at it. Um, but I guess to me, that's that's a proud achievement because it, it speaks to how much of an impact I can make within a very short period of time. And usually students generally only remember their year 12 or their VCE teachers because that's where they build those strong relationships. So for me to have that impact on a year nine student, like you know what we say about year nine, no one cares about year nine. <laughs> but for me, for, for, for me to have that impact on a year nine student is huge. And so I always reflect on that and think, anything's possible all of these all of these um uh these these assumptions we make about year nine as a year level as a cohort just goes down the drain if i can make that impact if i can make that impact what can we do um collectively to make sure that our year nines are being impacted in that same way yeah definitely 100 percent. and um you're studying a leadership course yeah i'm doing and what so what we have two from here (laughs) oh So I'm currently doing a Master's of Instructional Leadership. This is another achievement because I've always wanted to go to the University of Melbourne. Um, I was admitted into the Master's program um, at the end of 2019. I'm in my final year of completing it. Um, I'm currently completing a thesis that's due in two weeks' time. 
So that's where my time is going to be focused on in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I've done this deliberately because I want to be in a position where I can influence and impact learning on a bigger scale. I've seen what I'm capable of doing in the classroom, but for me, that's not enough. I'm thinking about other students who aren't as privileged as the students that I've taught in my classes and seeing how can I impact them. And so one of the key areas that I would like to work towards is working in policy making um, and being in a position to shape policies to influence the work of teachers on the ground. So I want to be able to see that all students are given equal access or are being treated the same in terms of, um, you know, what teachers expect from them. Because I know um, I, I can recall too many instances of students who come up to me and say, oh, I wish I had somebody that believed in me or um, oh, I wish I wish I had somebody that just gave me that extra push. Um, and, you know, it's easy for us to just focus on specific students because it's easier to get them to achieve what we expect from students. But I think those expectations need to be consistent across the board. Um, and I, I'm gutted because I've looked at the research and there are certain groups of students, and this is the reality, um, that aren't given that same level of expectation that we would if, say, for instance, um, you know, they were getting the best marks or that were, you know, um, being uh, their best behaved all the time. Um, because the reality is not a lot of students enjoy school and the reality is that um, it's really hard to get these students in, you know, focusing or keeping keeping them engaged in learning. And I think it's our responsibility as teachers to actually work around that and work with students to you know, understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, getting them to another area and, and working with them and working in partnership with students to get them where they need to be. Yep. And now onto the footy talk. <laughs> so you're, this hurts for me to say as a Cologne supporter, but you're a Carlton supporter. Where did that come about? And do you get, do you often go, do you support them heavily? Do you go watch them live much? How often do you get to sit down and watch a Carlton game? Okay. So the story behind me being a Carlton supporter is that when my family migrated to Australia, they either lived in Collingwood, um, Carlton or Richmond. My mother grew up, um, arrived in Australia in 83 or 84 and she lived in Carlton. So that's where our love for Carlton came from. And if you look at my birth certificate and even my passport, it says my place of birth is Carlton. So that's why I brag for Carlton. Um, I have an AFL membership and have been an AFL member for the last 12 years. I'm still at silver level. I'm number 5,000 on the waiting list to get gold level <laughs> membership. Um, but I always make an effort to go watch any game. I just love competition. Um, and I'm a big fan of AFL. I, footy is my favorite sport. AFL is my favorite sport. Um, it's the one sport that I will sacrifice any other sport to watch. Um, even if my team's not playing, I'll go watch. Um, I watch. It's just the atmosphere. And it's the atmosphere, but more, more most importantly, I love, AFL's unique. I, I love, I, I've always loved competition, but I think AFL is a very unique sport because I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, this and this is going yeah. to happen. Anything could happen. And it's in that sense, it's a dangerous sport as well. And compare it to like, say, American sports, there's no timeouts that they can sit there and stop. It's just got to be on, on the flow. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of people will like, I, I talk to family about this because I've got a lot of family that love rugby and they're like, oh, rugby straightforward. And I was like, yeah, it is straightforward, but that's boring. Too much um, stop and start for well, me. Well, that's that's what, and it's and it and it follows a very uh, rigid structure, I think. Yeah. Um, and there is structures in AFL, but in terms of the gameplay itself, 
It can go anywhere and that leads the direction of a game. And so I find that AFL is unpredictable. And, and I'll Definitely. Give, and I'll give you like my top 22, but you know, that might change over the course of the year and that has a lot to do with the dynamics between one team and another. Uh, but it's an exciting sport and that's why I rate it very high. All right, now going into the part that everyone here is waiting for, what is your Carlton best 22 going into the next season? Okay, I'm going to be honest, right? I'm the kind of footy fan that just goes there and goes, you know, Go Walshy, <laughs> you know, go McKay, McKay. Um, and I really know um, only very few players. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm that kind of supporter that, you know, really cheers on individual players. But I think Carlton has a really good list. Do you see yourself playing finals in 2022? No, nah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. And I think, you know, uh, changing coaches might help change the culture because... And, I, and, you know, I've had lots of conversations about this with several people. Um, but, you know, I think we've got a good list. I think we've got a good forward line. I think we've got a good um, defence. There might need to be some work done in the middle. Um, but, you know, how can a team with such a good forward line and good defence... I think they are good. Um, and, and when I was putting my top 22 list together, I was like, yeah, we've got some really good players. Why aren't we winning? Why are we not winning? And maybe culture of the club might play a significant role in that. Maybe the list changes may uh, make significant change in that. But obviously Carlton is in its re rebuild phase as it has been for the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> Must be painful to watch. <laughs> it is painful to watch. And you know what? Every time I go to a Carlton game, I find that I'm cheering the other team. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you this much. Last season, I saw more Carlton AFLW games than I did Carlton games. Not just because of lockdown, but because there were there are actual games that I, that I, that I skipped. Um, the makeup of our team just didn't look right or didn't feel right. Um, but then, you know, it's talking with people and having conversations. We do have some key players that uh, do their job really well in their certain parts but that chemistry I think is certainly absent um, because we see pockets of it game to game but we don't see it consistently and, and I'd love to see Carlton play you know um, the same way that Richmond have been playing not for the last year but you know the years prior to that you know yeah. when you go and I, I remember seeing heaps of Richmond games I'm like damn they're a beast. They're, mm. they're like the way they play. There's just so much chemistry and yeah, flow. The running carry. But there's that, and also I like that. You know, players like a lot of them could occupy different parts of the field at different times of the competition. They can sacrifice themselves to play a role for the team. Yeah, and and it was just it's just beautiful to watch that. You know, that level of talent and and play a uh, gameplay uh, when watching footy. So I, I'd, I'd love to see that. And you know, Melbourne was that team last year. Um and yeah. All right, now onto your best twenty-two. Okay, <laughs> here we go. All right, so um, wait, is fullback? Yeah. So I'm gonna start with fullback. Mm -hmm. So I've got Doherty, Weedering, and Newman. Yep. Fullback. Interesting note: Nick Newman's uncle is my next door neighbor. No way. But right. My next door neighbor. Do you know Chris Newman? He used to play for Rich. He was a Richmond captain. Anyways, that's his dad next door. <laughs> what? Have you met Newman? I haven't met Newman, no. Because he's mm. assistant coach at Hawthorne. He's too busy, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> Just so I dropped that one in. Got to got to flaunt the the connects. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found the halfback really difficult to do. Yep. Um, and I, I put Zach Williams there. Yep. I put Saad. I originally had him on interchange. Mm-hmm. 
Um, had Stoker in there, but then I don't know. I've just felt like putting Sard in there. I felt like um, Stocker. You mean? Yep. Yeah, Stocker. His numbers were uh, better, and I put Liam Jones in the halfback. Mm-hmm. Um, in the centre, I've got Ed Kerno. Yep. Um, Cripps and Plowman. Yep. I played around with that one. Um, half forward, I've got Fisher. Whoa, Fisher. No, I'm missing somebody in the half forward. How did I not get this right? No. <laughs> okay, so in the half forward, I got Fisher and Martin. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm missing one. I put Fisher in there twice because I did a lot of scribbling. I bet you it was supposed to be um, Charlie Kerner. Yeah, it was supposed to be Charlie yeah, Kerner, but, but I moved him up though. Okay, yep. I moved him up. So I might be able to put somebody else in the interchange. Oh, wow. <laughs> I moved Charlie, uh, Charlie Kerner. Um, in the full forward, so I've got Silvani, um, Mackay, and Charlie Kerno there. Um, in the ruck, I've got Pitonet. Yep. The ruck Rover, Walsh, and the new player that's come from... Adam Chera. Yeah, Adam Chera. I've got him as a Rover. Um, in the interchange, I've got Stocker, Setterfield, DeConing, and Kennedy. Yeah, it's, a pretty, it's actually a pretty solid team when you look at it on paper. It's just be interesting to see if they can finally put it all together and finally perform it's because i know cult supporters have been waiting for a bloody long time well you know what we've had record memberships for the last <laughs> two years and it's like wow how do you reward your supporters um i mean our numbers are better than melbourne <laughs> <laughs> all right now thank you for your time brody for being the first guest on tricky's chats and i'm sure we'll catch up soon yeah for sure we definitely have to catch up we need to catch up more all right thank you thank you Thank you for listening to the Up The Gut podcast. I'd like to thank Alvo for being the special guest co-host with me and Brody Carter for being the first guest on the new segment, Tricky's Chats. If you could follow us on all our platforms, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify and put your notifications bell on. It would mean a lot. Also follow our social media platforms, Instagram, up the guts underscore and no, up the underscore guts. And then Facebook is just simply up the guts. Next week, we hope to open the line. So if you'd like to get in contact with us, shoot uh, our message on our social media platforms and we'll see what we can arrange. Thank you and see you until next week.